The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Uh, my name is Robert Castro. I'm a professor in theater and dance, and I'm currently the director of CLS, the Chicanx Latinx Studies minor program here on the campus of UC San Diego. We're in the library, the Gildred Hall, uh, in the Latin American Studies building. Really thrilled to be here during Latinx Heritage Month, uh, which is going strong here on campus. And um, part of the efforts to um, uh, create awareness for our program, but also to celebrate our extraordinary Latinx community, in this case, our STEM faculty. I'm thrilled to have an uh, informal, intimate conversation with three uh, extraordinary um, colleagues on campus and hopefully in the future, dear friends. So, beginning with beautiful Rami, who's a dear friend and colleague uh, in many capacities here on campus, uh, I'm thrilled to share her bio. Uh, Rami is a distinguished professor in the Theoretical and Computational Chemistry at the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry here at UC San Diego. She grew up on the south side of Chicago. Sounds very swanky, or I don't know, maybe the opposite. I don't know Chicago, um, but Chicago sounds swanky. Uh, received her BS in Chemical Engineering, her PhD in Chemistry from the uh, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Rami was at NIH Poc postdoctoral fellow with Professor Andrew McCammon at UC San Diego from 2005 to 2009 and started her independent lab at the University of California, Irvine in, 20, in 2009. In 2011, she moved to UC San Diego. She is the recipient of the NIH New Innovator Award, the Presidential Early Career Award for Scientists and Engineers, the ACS Comp Open Eye Outstanding Junior Faculty Award, the ACS Cavley Foundation Emerging Leader in Chemistry, the Corwin Hanch Award, and the 2020 ACM Gordon Bell Special Prize for COVID-19. Indeed. <laughs> Rami's scientific interests lie at the intersection of computer-aided drug discovery and biophysical simulation. Her scientific vision revolves around expanding the range of complexity of molecular constituents represented in atomic-level molecular dynamics simulations, the development of novel multi-scale methods of elucidating the time -dependent their time-dependent dynamics, and the discovery of novel, novel chemical matter controlling biological function. You did great. That's, That's a mouthful. A That's a mouthful, Rami. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to say, you know, I know Rami from, um, like I said, I'm being committee as part of the service we have to do as professors. And I always thought from afar, she was like the coolest person. But oh, now no, you're like no, way no, off no. the charts oh, with this, right. like, this okay. incredible um, uh, bio. Super impressive. Impressive, but um, um, that impressiveness, I'm sure, was always there from the beginning, Rami. So maybe just starting at the origins of just tell us, you know, uh, your story, where you come from, clearly from Chicago, yeah. and um, and how you got to UCSD. Okay, um, right. So we, I, I grew up in Chicago. Um, we have my father's side of the family is Cuban, and they were political refugees. Oh. So they were. We have a huge family presence in Miami, as Florida in general. Um, and then they had these, um, we ended up in Chicago because they had these, I guess, employment programs where they were sending the refugees to different places if they had a sponsor. And so my grandfather ended up working in the steel mills up in Gary, Indiana, um, which uh, I don't think was very swanky at all. <laughs> um, and quite a change from Cuba. Um, but uh, in, any, in any case, so that's how 
my family sort of ended there and um, or where we sort of created a home. And um, my father was a math teacher, a high school math teacher. My mother's an English teacher. Or was and what, an English and teacher. did you have your father as a, as a math teacher in high school? Uh, no, he taught at a different school. Ah, okay. Yeah, he nearby school, but a different school. Thank goodness. I mean, he made me <laughs> he made me do math with him. Like, and my sister also. I have one sister uh-huh. older. Is she uh, in, in STEM and a scientist as well? She is. She does urban planning, oh, okay. which is sort of like. Um, I mean, it's not the sciences, but it's sort of, you know, it gets technical. She Mm -hmm. does, like, watershed planning and and so forth. Yeah, really important work, especially nowadays. And where's she based? I'm just curious. She's she's with my family in... um, in Chicago. Got it. So, I, you know, I don't know, this part of, I don't know if it's part also of your story, but certainly part of, of my story is, you know, sort of, I guess, leaving the family environment, which, you know, I think for anyone is probably challenging. I think for um, Latin families, maybe I think it's a little harder. I mean, Absolutely. especially on the... On the Cuban side, we always talk about like the Cuban guilt. My father's got it. Like you know, they have to talk to me like every twenty-four hours, or I get, I start getting, you know, how you doing? Anyway, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I went to, I grew up there. I had a lot of, I was a love of math that my father sort of instilled in me, which was great. And uh, then I went to the University of Illinois. Um, I thought I was going to be a pre-med doctor, but I thought. Um, that I might get a useful degree along the way <laughs> instead of being pre-med. I, I went into chemical engineering in case I just, you know, because... That was your backup? That was the backup. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, you know, it was really important also uh, that we, uh, or at least my family, really instilled yeah, to be self-supporting and um, that there was a really good standard of living uh, as an engineer. You know, you could get a, a, very, a pretty good paying job after four years. That was really important. Um, so I got that and I actually went to work for Kraft Foods. I was a really traditional, like, um, product engineer doing, um, making Philadelphia cream cheese (laughs) at like 20,000 pounds an hour. It was really fun. Um, but like, what was your practical task? Like, what would you do? So basically, did you know that at all of these consumer product companies, like consumer products, so like any, well, or let's just focus on food, like any food that you buy that's like packaged, there are teams of engineers who are working to make more money for the same product. And so what I did was, which is common, I guess. So there's, there's a couple of ways that you can make money like this. Um, one way is to put more water into a product because water generally is a cheap ingredient. Another way is to put air into the product. So like aerated, mm-hmm. you know, like that cream cheese that spreads really nicely. Like the whipped? Yeah, the whipped. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was a big money maker. And, um, but why? Can you explain? Oh, that's interesting. But why, why, why are they trying to kind of like bulk it up? What does that do? Why does that mean more money? Oh, well, uh, they basically can sell less actual cost. You know, the, they're uh-huh. They can stretch the, their product. They, they can stretch the product and they charge you a little more. So the margins get bigger for their wow. profit. Because, of course, it's all about making wow. money. Yeah. So the other way that you can, or one uh, another way, I should say, there's many ways to make money, I guess. Um, but in food engineering, is to reincorporate a waste stream back into the product. So, like when you're making cheese, you get curds and whey. You know, yeah. little Miss Muffet on her tuppet. Sure. And um, so the waste stream of cheese making, you make a lot of whey when you make uh, the curd. You know, it comes off, and so. Actually, because they make so much cheese, craft, 
and other companies too, I'm sure. Um, it's, uh, it costs money to, to uh, dispose of it. And so what they can do is they can sell some of it maybe to pig farmers or whatever because they can feed it to livestock. Mm-hmm. But then at some point it becomes a liability. And anyway, so what we were doing was we concentrated some of the whey down and then put it in as a new protein source because it has a lot of protein. And so we were able to reduce the amount of fat that we had. Fat's very expensive. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, that was what I did. And it was actually really fun. I, what I loved about it was it was, and one of the things that Kraft has done really well, um, they have such a diverse group of people from, like, ethnicities, different con- nationalities. Um, just they are st- so good at diversity for product making. Mm. Because that's so important to, like, sell to people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, it was a wonderful environment. Um, but at, after a couple years, I thought, maybe I wanted to do something more than make cheese. And so I went back to grad school, back to the University of Illinois, and I majored in chemistry, which is very different than engineering. Totally different set of questions. I don't think I really appreciated at the time how different it was going to be. Yeah, anyway, but then... That was sort of... And why did you choose chemistry versus the engineering? What was the the switch there for you? Okay. The switch for me actually was um, I had a really terrific undergraduate uh, research experience in sort of computational chemistry close to the field I actually ended up, you know, really loving. Um, And at the time when I was getting my graduate degree, I thought about should I go to grad... Or at the time when I was... um, uh, going out uh, on the job market for for the chemical engineering, I thought, you know, should I go to grad school? Should I not? And, um, you know, in the end, I decided to take a job, give, give, uh, get some money. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, But anyway, so I had that really good experience. And then when, after working for a couple years, I thought maybe I want to do something like I had researched. Because I would say that the difference for me was like when I was an undergrad and I was having, and I was having this research experience, um, I really, really liked it. And one of the things that I always say, and I always try to encourage people, like I knew something was wrong with me when like all my friends were going, getting ready. Cause I went to a big state school, like, um, and even though our football team wasn't very good, university of Illinois is pretty much the pits for football, but for a big <laughs> 10 school, sorry to say, um, but like everybody would be like tailgating on Saturday morning. And I was just like so excited that I could go into the lab like a super nerd. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so I was able to go back to that in, in graduate wow. school. Yeah. So I love proteins and stuff like that. I love molecules. I'm unapologetically molecular is what I like wow. to say. That, yeah. That's incredible. Anyway, we, I, should, we could. Yeah. Well, no, we're just a few more seconds with you here before yeah. we meet our other guests. So I'm curious, so how did you get to UC San Diego? Because, yeah. I mean, you had this incredible, um, going back to school, uh, post-craft, and, yes. uh, and then kind of building on that. And have then, you been to Urbana? <laughs> actually, believe it or not, I have. Oh, you have? Yes, believe it or not. Oh. Uh, when I was out of grad school, um, one of, usually as a, in the directing programs on the country, when you get your MFA, you usually become, one thing that you kind of get a job is becoming like a guest director at MFA programs. Like and so Kranert? I came and I directed a show at, at the Cranard Center. Oh, so I know, I know Champaign-Urbana yeah. very well, believe it or not. Oh. So, but, okay. but we're talking about you. I know. Well, <laughs> right. Well, so... I will just never, so, you know, I had grown up in Chicagoland and um, gone to school in Urbana for undergrad and grad school, and I worked in Chicago, so I had never been out of this, like, small corridor in the middle of the country, which I later learned people call the flyover state, Mm -hmm. to my horror, 
Um, but uh, anyway, I, uh, there were, I, I knew that I wanted to, after my graduate degree, I wanted to do a postdoc and I wanted to do more in the line of like drug discovery and like health research because I, in my grad training, I had done things that were cool, but they were kind of esoteric. They were further away from having like Im- immediate impact, you know, near term. And I thought it would be great to, um, to try to see if we could use these techniques, which is like these simu- computer simulation techniques and mathematical modeling to design uh, safer and more effective drugs. So there's basically like, I kind of felt like there were three places in the country that I should look. Um, one was San Diego, one's the Bay Area, and the other is like the Boston area. Those are the real kind of like biotech hubs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there are other places, but those are where the big concentrations are. And I looked at all those places, and there was someone here who I um, interviewed with. Uh, this is Andy McCammon, who's amazing. Um, and then also just being out here. I mean, it was like, I don't know. I'll never forget when I, because I drove in my car. I'll never forget when, like, I came over um, the Delmar Heights sort of road, at, mm-hmm. and, and it was like all of a sudden you could just see the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh. Yeah, before you go back up the hill to La Jolla, yeah. it's an incredible drive, yeah. Like, it's so, so scenically gorgeous, for yeah. sure. And I, I mean, I, I definitely did not imagine that we would be able to stay here. Um, uh, but, you know, I feel, like, super fortunate it has worked out because I really love the state of California. And I love, I love San Diego. And I think the institution also is awesome. And I'm so happy to, you know, to lo- actually for myself even to learn more about this program, you know, your program mm-hmm. and to build a network and stuff here. So Yeah, and before we move on, because I do have a lot of questions for, for that one, I have everybody kind of contribute to, but just more specific in terms of the yeah. focus of the conversation today with the Latinx Heritage Month, what's it like for you being on campus uh, or just being a Latina in the STEM field, right, yeah. uh, in whole or maybe even just here in, on the campus? I'm just kind of curious what that was like. I mean, I love your humor and your story and working at Kraft. This is all fantastic, but, yeah. but you have a singular kind of identity also you're a latina and in the stem field a woman even more so i'm just kind of curious if you can express your kind of that part of your journey yeah um very interesting um a complete opposite experience in terms of diversity uh i hate to say it at the faculty level you know coming from a place like craft which was just so impressive um and then to the department here was a little challenging. Um, and one interesting thing that um, I realized later that I was doing, which I'm actually like just now really getting better at, is um, letting myself be more of who I am. You know, I think um, when I came, especially as an assistant professor, there's this sense of, you know, you need to um, assimilate, you know, as much as possible. And not only culturally, the Latin side, but also the gender side. Um, so I, uh, you know, it, I, it was just, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I was doing it, you know, because, it, I don't know, it's just, you get put into an environment that's just kind of different. But over, you know, over the years, so I've been here, I guess about 10 years, 12 years. Um, yeah, 12 years as an independent faculty member. I'm just now, to be honest, and I just turned 45. I feel like I'm just kind of coming into being able to, like, be my, like, true self in, in department meetings and, and things like this. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Things are so much better for that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I don't, I don't know. Maybe I didn't really answer your question. But it, was, it's, it is interesting. It, the whole, there's many facets of the experience that, that are interesting. And I think 
one of the things I've tried to do is when hit with like an obstacle uh, or like hurdle, and certainly there are a lot, um, to try to do my best to, uh, you know, stay, stay positive because over time it, it can be difficult, you know, uh, various things, uh, but also to, uh, to use them as opportunities for growth and making things better, you know, and, um, that's been also, uh, I think a large part of my identity here as a faculty member, certainly in my department and also like in the division. And so, Yeah. Well, we'll be talking to you more. Okay. But we're going to talk to um, Gilberto. Is that cool? So this is Gilberto. So Gilberto, also another dear friend. I'm really thrilled to be with him. We've been on many committees as well, and so it's great to have him here. Um, so Gilberto was recently appointed the Associate Dean for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion in Jacobs School of Engineering. Congratulations. And is a professor in the Department of Structural Engineering since 2012. Born and raised in L.A., He received his B.S. from UC Irvine, his M.S. from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and Ph.D. from UC Berkeley, all in civil engineering. His research and teaching focus on structural and earthquake engineering design for civil structures. He has contributed toward the development of testing methods for large-scale structural models and the application of earthquake protection systems, including seismic isolation and damping devices in buildings and bridges. He has led teams of investigators in reconnaissance missions following earthquakes to investigate and learn from damage, most recently following the 2017 Puebla-Morelos earthquake that affected Mexico City. And it was just recently in Taiwan, this like couple weeks ago, September 17th and 18th, during their earthquakes. Extraordinary. Wow. Gilberto, amazing. I didn't know that about your recent travels. I know you were out of town because you missed some meetings that were on, but I'm like, I didn't know you were there doing like amazing like social action work. Amazing. So, so just same questions. I'm just kind of asking, you know, we began with um, Rami and I'll just ask you. So, you know, tell us your journey. What were the impulses for you? For beca- you know, how does like, you know, a person from Los Angeles, you know, get to MIT, right? So what, tell us about your journey and the seeds of your origins of, 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 of um, who you are, Gilberto. Um, so where to start? <laughs> so yeah, my, I grew up in, in, uh, in Los Angeles, in Wilmington. Uh, those of you who don't know, it's around Long Beach, San Pedro area. And uh, What high school did you go to? Uh, Benning High School. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so far I met one student here at UCSD from Benning High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Uh, so it was actually a student in my class. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so I grew up from a family of, of uh, six. Uh, both my parents came from Mexico, both immigrated separately. They met here, married. And, mm-hmm. uh, and what part of Mexico did they come from? Michoacan. Oh, uh-huh. Tancancicoro, Michoacan. Ooh, look at you. I love it. Look, look up where that is. Uh, yeah, so they're from a small town um, in, in, in Mexico and um you know, both came. Actually, my dad came on his own. My my mom came as with with uh, with my grand grandparents, uh, where he came to work here in the U.S. And uh, yeah, I grew up in this in this town, predominantly uh, Mexican neighborhood. Uh, so there was, you know, I don't I can't say I, I grew up even though we're here in the U.S. There was no lack of culture there, mm-hmm. um, with a large family, you know, very large extended family in in the area. Um, and so my parents did not go to uh, school beyond uh, my father, probably some elementary school, my mom, some, uh, some middle school. 
uh, and both you know whether to work or to help help around the house uh, to you know fill up those chores, uh, you know stop schooling. But they always instilled uh, a lot of education in us and 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 and, uh, and my siblings. So I have two older sisters that are uh, teachers in um, in uh, um, I think one elementary, one middle school, and then I have a brother who is a professor of education at UC Santa Cruz. And then it's me, and then I have two younger brothers uh, that are in the Bay Area. One, um, well, both actually one at Berkeley, uh, and uh, and actually got involved in the tech industry and different different aspects of that. Um, and uh, so for my for my own self, uh, actually my older sister and older brother went to Irvine, and so I kind of uh, followed suit, not knowing. Kind of, you know, going back to that. Well, if I do engineering, maybe I could get a, a decent job, you know, make, make a, a decent living after. And so Who I went. Into, I don't know, I'm hearing like you know, engineering is like the pathway to something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, miss, and, I'm and missing out. Yeah, 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 I guess so. So yeah. one of the things that you know, this is for one of the things I think that engineering does is, uh, um, I mean, it is. I think even you finish a four year degree and you can come out with a very, de- very good paying job. Yeah, um, you get a master's even better. Um, Right, so uh, it, it is a good pathway to um, to. And there's plenty of jobs, I think, in in yeah. in the in. Well, in, in, in the, said like a nice yeah. living mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also just yeah. a good uh, good uh, quality of life overall. Yeah, yeah, very very good uh, overall quality of life. Um, and whether it's you know you're in the research phase or in the practice phase, um, yeah, a, a lot of opportunities. I think it opens a, a lot of pathways, especially you know for for someone like me that I, I didn't know many engineers, I didn't know what direction to go in. Um, but I, I, I did have at, uh, uh, when I got to UCR, I had the opportunity to meet, uh, 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 and work with, with a professor who was actually my academic advisor. He was from Mexico, Roberto Villaverde. And, uh, I kind of, you know, in meetings, I would ask him, you know, what is this research thing you all talk about? And, uh, and eventually ended up getting on board doing research with, uh, uh, with him and started working on first some programming and then, uh, later on, I, I started doing, I was supposed to work with a PhD student who, uh, was also working part-time. So it was kind of, when you were an undergrad? When I was an undergrad. Yeah, I started working in the lab. And the PhD student was, for, for some reason, interested in working more, perhaps because they paid more <laughs> at the time. Um, and, you know, was kind of fairly absent from the lab. And, and so I kind of took it upon myself to, uh, do a lot of the, the the experimental setup in the lab, and I did actually a model of a building, it was a steel building that I welded myself because my mom was kind of you know getting us when we were in high school, you, you know, sending us to adult school to learn welding or to learn some trade, uh-huh. and uh, uh, was able. Oh, is that to, true? So yeah, you, so you, so you, 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 learn, yeah. you know welding. Yeah, I won't touch it now. But <laughs> um, there's been chances in the lab still, but I won't, I won't touch it now. But yeah, so I did kind of own little model and was running a, a little earthquake simulator. There were, you know, little tables like about this size, two of them, and uh, running model of a building. And I thought, this is like great. You know, we're like building stuff and breaking stuff. Yeah. It's fun, like kind of stuff you do as a kid. <laughs> you know, what little army wars and whatever that I did with my brother. So I, I just was just fascinated by experimental work and especially in, in this area of earthquake engineering. And around that time, too, the Northridge earthquake happened. And I remember uh, my, uh, uh, my uh, advisor, Roberto Villaverde, went and kind of, I didn't go at the time, I was an undergrad, but went and, and saw some of the, 
damage that happened in the Northridge earthquake sure. in 1994. That's probably the last biggest earthquake we had in the mm -hmm. U.S. Yeah. Um, so it's been a while, but, you know, <laughs> we could be a little worried. It also makes us a little worried. It's been a while since we had a big earthquake here in the U.S. or a major one that has caused a lot of damage. And so um, that really got me involved in experimental work and um, completing that. And I was kind of on the path I wanted to finish, but that got me excited about going on to you know, learning more about what I was sitting in the lab, trying to explain things. I remember some equations the professor would present to me, and I was like, some sort of these Greek symbols, what the heck are they? <laughs> yeah. um, and so I was kind of interested in going on to grad school, and I ended up going to MIT for, for grad school. And we probably all heard of MIT and, you know, in terms of what it means in terms of engineering education. But for me, it was... Um, um, you know, as, you know, I got to meet some great people there, I mean, some brilliant minds, um, and I think it helped me develop my analytical skills, but I really loved the experimental work. And then so I switched for my PhD. I, I wanted to continue studying, and I switched back to UC Berkeley, which at the time had the largest earthquake simulator, uh -huh. right, compared to uh, where you could do models, maybe a third-scale models of, of buildings. And at the time, Berkeley and Urbana-Champaign were the only ones with tables. Oh, really? So oh, I, yeah. yeah. It was, it was not on campus, but it, but they were the only ones that had these large shake tables. Interesting. Yeah, Urbana, if you know, had like the top programs in, in earthquake engineering were actually Berkeley and Urbana. Wow. Um, have been like some of the more um, like historically some of the more yeah. well-known programs. How earthquake engineering happens in the middle of cornfields? I, don't know. I know. <laughs> it, was a, it was a safe place. If yeah. it didn't any damage, it wouldn't yeah. be so big, right? So of course, I've been to Urbana several times. Uh, oh, really? It's a very strong group. In, so we in, all know in, Urbana. Alex, do you know Urbana mm -hmm. Champagne? I, I know yeah. of it. No, of it. Yeah. You've, you've flown over it. I, yeah, flown over it. Yeah, I've landed I, there a couple times. Can I just ask you a quick question uh, about your time at MIT? Like, what's that like for being like a Mexicano, someone from Los Angeles? Like. I mean, I imagine you identify as Chicano, yeah. you know, and how, how was it like being a Chicano at MIT, for God's sakes? So, like, getting back to that aspect of, of you know, I think, you know, growing up in a predominantly Mexican neighborhood, you know, go to all your school is, is uh, predominantly mi minority. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, then you get to Irvine and you start seeing, like, oh, there's only, like, maybe 10% of us or less mm -hmm. in, in the classrooms. And then you get to MIT. MIT was actually quite diverse. I think MIT really? did some excellent programs in terms yeah. of recruiting. Mm -hmm. um, what was different about, um, and the undergrad population, I think they do a lot, and what was different for as a graduate student, and that's, I think, in general, speaking in general, in terms of most universities in the U.S., that they're very diverse internationally, like students yeah. from all mm -hmm. over the world. Mm -hmm. um, that's because, I don't know if it's U.S. students don't want to... <laughs> Uh, just in general, go out as grad, especially PhD. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very diverse in that sense. And, you know, you got to meet people from all over the world. And like I said, there were some brilliant individuals. I mean, very smart uh, people. It did make me kind of at times, like, what am I doing here? Sure. What but about I, the food? Uh, the food? <laughs> I'm always concerned about yeah. the food. About the food in Boston? Well, yeah. Boston in general is, is, is great. Did you, you know, miss, like, Mexico? Did they have, well, like... Yeah, that was one, one switch, for example. And, you know, when you say... Um, Especially like, you know, being in Irvine and, you know, when you're in, in California, you say Latino, it's predominantly a Mexican community. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you got to Boston, it, it was very different. Right? Yeah, a lot yeah, yeah. Of, uh, you get a lot, a lot of more There's different cultures. There's a lot cultures. of uh, Brazilian culture yeah, there, yeah, a lot, Cuban culture yeah, there, yeah, 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 Puerto Ricanos, yeah, yeah, a lot of different cultures. So it was a lot more mixed. And um, yeah, so Mexican. Okay. 
Yeah, it was okay. okay. I just have to just, just still a thought really quickly. Um, do you guys know Professor uh, uh, David Mares? Do you know uh, Professor Mares? A wonderful. Um, I think he's just about to retire, but an incredible OG uh, on faculty here at UC San Diego. Ran CLAS here uh, in also LAS program. Really quickly, uh, he was um, like in 1970s, like early 70s. He was like one of the like one or second, third, fourth of like a Chicano at Harvard as an undergrad. Oh, wow. And he was, and he talks about him and his, and he found like two other, three other Chicanos on campus, and they were just like they became buddies, right? Because like they, they nobody right back in those days, right? This is we're talking like the early 70s, of course, right with the beginning of the Chicano movement. And, um, and he says they would drive like miles to like some. They found some like senora who made like tacos <laughs> and like homemade. Tortillas, they would drive like hours for a tortilla oh, yeah. and then go back to school. Mm-hmm. So I love that you're asking about like that kind of need for us, you know, in our, you know, in where we're studying or where we're, we're at to have that kind of connection, mm-hmm. you know, and food is always like a critical one for us to have. Yeah, for sure. Whether it's tortillas mm-hmm. or, you know, platanos or, yeah, 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 ropa vieja, whatever for you, which I love. But I'll yeah. to say, and, 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 and Alex, I'm sure, has his platos as well yeah. that he's missing. But I'll to say, that's such a beautiful story of how we connect to it, right? That really. Yeah. Um, makes us um, feel home and, and, and makes us like, kind of wake up the next day, so to speak. And they started to cook a little bit more. And for example, one thing that whenever uh, you know, someone would come or we would come, we always took, for example, chorizo. Right? That we would go here, I have an uncle in what well, used to make uh, chorizo in LA, and that was kind of like our uh, kind of breakfast bread and butter. Um, so we would all take like packs of. So no California breakfast burritos for you, huh? Yeah, you, you got no, yeah. chorizo. You don't got no French fries so, in your tortilla in your yeah. taco. <laughs> but you know, at least in Boston, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of um, a lot of different cultures there, and, and there was a lot of different foods. And uh, you you explore other yeah yeah yeah. Other other restaurants like like you know they had a, a very uh, well known Italian section for restaurants kind of like here as well and as you get to know in different cities so yeah it was uh, a lot of good food and a lot of uh, but you do miss a little bit the you know bring my mom over for a week oh, to yeah. cook <laughs> sure, sure. yeah so there was some of that as well as a as as a student uh, but Boston is a big city very 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 diverse so. And, and and the same question I was asking Rami, like you know, kind of more focused in in terms of your your um, experience and how you are in as a kind of Latino in this in the STEM, you know, and now this new position of leadership, right? In terms of the engineering school, I mean, what's that like for you? And like, I know I know you guys have ideas. That wonderful program. I know that Olivia Grave has also run in the past as well. We're going to be meeting her tomorrow. But I'll just say, I'm just kind of curious, what's your experience like here in your in your in that division, that school, and then also on campus? Yeah. Yeah, I think overall on campus, you know, it's a great time to be here at, at UC San Diego um, as, as, a, as a Latino, as we're, you know, approaching this milestone that we're trying to, that we're going to get to, the HSI right? status, as we have 25% mm-hmm. or more of our undergraduate population. Um, and, you know, certainly seeing that in, 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 uh, in classes at the undergrad level, um, where, you know, you get to grad school, you see the, is, not so much of a of a push there. I think in undergrad population we're seeing that increase, but it's not happening at the graduate level. And and as Romy was alluding to at the at the at the professoriate, definitely not yeah. seeing that that push. And so, um, you know, hope, we're trying to work towards you know keeping that wave going all the way up through through, through the professoriate, um, so we can have more. You know, when when we come in as as Latinos to professor, we're not the only ones. Uh, in our in our in our department, so it is an exciting time to be here. I mean, as a as a in California, we have 
you know, the, the, the demographics are changing. And as, like I said, we're seeing in the undergrad. So it's a very, very exciting time to be here and trying to work on ways on how we could, you know, make that happen all the way through, uh, from graduate school all the way through, getting more faculty and leadership here on, here on, um, here on campus. And can you just t- talk a few minutes about your position as the, as the, um, vice, the, the associate dean? Of, of EDI in, in engineering, what 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 are you, what like what what's uh, like what's your biggest challenge, and what are you excited about coming up? Yes, of course, our kind of undergraduate population getting larger, but you mm-hmm. you're sharing some of the challenges. I'm just curious, like what is the your big charge for you in that division? Yeah, so this is my first year in this position. I was disappointed, and uh, so there's a lot of aspects you know dealing with faculty, staff, and students, and so on the uh, faculty side is hiring. You know, making sure we have. Uh, uh, an inclusive hiring process mm-hmm. that we make sure that uh, you know all f- applications are are, are considered uh, where we may have tendencies to I mean it's something that's in all of us these implicit biases you know to sure. make sure that uh, we're we're treating each ap- application fairly so overseeing all the all the search um, faculty search process that are going on for uh, all throughout engineering um, and in an effort to in the end have a more diverse uh, faculty. Um, and to have faculty that are that are, are um, you know serving for the for the students and the community uh, that have an interest in in uh, um, you know not only the research mm-hmm. uh, but also in you know in the student population and, and helping them thrive as students here. Uh, so we're trying to build, and it's great to see that. Um, at least for me, it's, it's also exciting to see that as we're hiring a younger generation of faculty, all a lot of the new faculty coming in. They have a very deep-seated interest, and you know, it's, uh, uh, in in being involved in the campus, in supporting students, and supporting other faculty. So it, it's changing. I think the culture is changing um, all around, and it's very exciting to see that happen. Um, with the students, um, a lot of uh, challenges there as well, um, in terms of you know making sure that you know we get the students into our program all across UCSD, and making sure they're able to complete their program successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, in in STEM in particular. There's you know students. We get a lot of students, and and in general, a lot of students don't complete the program. Um, how how can we improve those aspects? Um, considering, you know, when we go back and you know, I, I could compare, for example, the high school that I went to, and now the high school where my kids go. <laughs> you know, very different in terms of the level of preparation that students are getting coming into uh, coming into college, and how can we as a university better prepare these students that, for example, do not have access to 10 AP classes mm-hmm. um, to help them uh, compete and thrive and succeed in this environment. Awesome. That's so wonderful. I'm going to pause our conversation and then we can bring in um, Alex and, uh, and open it up uh, to our final guest, not at least by any means. So, Alex, I'm going to read your bio here. Alex Franio is an assistant professor at UC San Diego. He obtained his degree in physics from the National University of Honduras in Tegucigalpa, which is the capital of Honduras, yes? Uh, after pursuing, uh, oh, af- uh, then after pursuing a career in music, which I really want to get into and see how, how, how that plays out in your current kind of identity, uh, I'm sure that's really extraordinary, uh, in, in Mexico City and other places, he returned to physics to work on his master's degree at the University of Stuttgart. He did his PhD research at the, at the Max Planck Institute for Solid State Research. 
He won the Ernst Eckhart Koch Prize and the Springer Outstanding PhD Research Prize. He was later awarded the University of California Presidential Postdoctoral Fellowship to work at UC Berkeley with Emeritus Chancellor Robert Bergenau. Now he is an assistant professor, and he has recently won the Sloan Research Award in 2020, the Cotterell Scholar Award 2021, the, NA, the NSF Career Award 2022, and is a, a SIFAR Global Azirelli Fellow 2022. He's also the assistant director of the Energy Frontier Research Center funded by the Department of Energy to study quantum materials for energy-efficient neuromorphic computing with the goal of developing a new materials platform for a computing paradigm inspired by the brain. His other research interests include strongly correlated electron systems, design and growth of transition metal oxide heterostructures, and various forms of X-ray scattering tools to probe their properties. Wow, that's a mouthful too. Alex, <laughs> welcome. So um, again, just to get to meet you. And this isn't the first time I'm meeting in person, right? We've, we've had e-contact and I've loved your vibe, I have to say, um, um, over the emails. You're, you're so wonderful. So I'm really glad to, to meet you in person. Um, I'll to say, please share us, you know, how you began your story, your journey, and then, of course, how you ended up here at UC San Diego. And first of all, I love that you're representing Honduras. Thank you. Latin is Heritage Month. You are showing our uh, Unidos, right? Again, just for those who don't know, the, the theme of this year's Latinx Heritage Month is Unidos. So I will just say I was actually conscious of um, uh, bringing in a diverse group of, uh, of Latinos on our campus just to show the solidarity that we have within our own community. Even though, as Alberto was saying, we are in San Diego on the border with Mexico and the, primor- the, the primary kind of culture that we have is, you know, the Mexicano-Chicanx lens. But we also have extraordinary, um, you know, brothers and sisters from our other Latinx communities. So welcome. Thanks, Robert. And um yeah, it's wonderful to be here uh, to learn about these efforts and to meet these wonderful colleagues. That's uh, already As I said, Alex, incredible. I was talking outside. The, my secret plan for this is nothing more than just to like for them to know each other. And I'm selfish. I just want to like um, like you know fan fan over them as well. So it's just about meeting new friends. That's all. I'm, totally I'm excuse happy to hang that. out. I'm happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, and so I am wearing my uh, my country's. Uh, uh, football or soccer, football jersey, because of you know Latin Heritage Month, I suppose. Even though we're not in the World Cup this year, we have to wait four years. Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, the capital of well, Tegucigalpa, the capital of Honduras. Um, uh, so and uh, did my uh, uh, university there, the National University, which is the, the public university of, um, um, in Honduras. It's, it's a very small country. It's only around 9 million people. Um, if you count the people that live in the U.S., that can grow up to maybe f- by 3 or 4 million. So it's a sizable amount of, pop- pop- of our population lives here compared to the country uh, itself. And... Um, and um, there, there's a national university, which is a public university, which is uh, public in the sense that it is free. Like you just have to go and sign a form and you are, are enrolled. Wow. Um, and so it is extremely diverse in terms of like all the socioeconomic uh, spectrum that you get there. Everybody can go there and everybody does go there. There are some private universities that are more, um, more expensive and obviously more 
serving the, the, the higher economic class, but, mm -hmm. but the public university has the feature that has also a lot of um, uh, careers. So in Honduras, it is a very poor country. The, the economy is extremely small, and per capita is just, just you know, among the, the most uh, poor countries in the whole world. So its, its resources are very limited. That is the beginning and the end of this story. Because everybody that is in Honduras that has aspirations to do anything remotely close to what we do in terms of science or, or art, you have very little opportunity. That to say, uh, they, they do, there is some of it. You know, there are some people doing it and so on, but very small community. Mm -hmm. So I started to, I was interested in two things which are exactly the worst things you can be interested in Honduras in terms of, in terms of opportunity which is uh, music and science. Again, very limited options for those two. What um, would be the opposite of limited options? What, what, what so would be the more most successful people would go, ways I mean, to... It, you know, because there's no real, like, um, let's say, R&D or anything of that nature, so if you study a, an engineering career, uh, you're likely to, you know, a good job would be working in the government in some capacity or maybe in some construction. Civil engineering is strong because there's construction that, sure. that is around. So you get good jobs as a civil engineer. My dad is actually a civil engineer, even though he didn't work in civil engineering. So you had like decent jobs as engineers. So, so people would do like engineering and then like politics is, is a very common career choice. There's, the, the government is, is a sizable amount of the population. Mm. It's a small country. Mm -hmm. It's a very big employer, mm -hmm. like I'd say, um, and things like that. So law, you know, people study law. Even, mm -hmm. That's kind of what you can do there, a few options. You have to run a business, work in a bank, and that's about it. So anything, you know, like, like what I wanted to aspire to do, it was very limited. So uh, that led me, somehow, I dropped out of, I dropped out of my, 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 let's say, um, bachelor's and, and moved to Ciudad de Mexico, which at the time was called, de, well, we, people referred to it as DF, mm -hmm. Distrito Federal, uh, Mexico City, uh, to, to, to try and see if I could, like, you know, I had a music group and we, we were trying to see if we could get something going there as far as a, you know, career, I'd say. Or something. And what type of music did yeah. you play? Like rock and yeah. roll. Yeah. Like it was a rock and roll, uh, uh -huh. rock en español. Rock en español? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was the name of your band? We had a few, few names. We had Azul Revolver, El Sonograma. Ooh, that's, those are cool. Yeah. <laughs> we had a bunch of names. We changed names all the time. Like, and, and what did and you, you, you sing or you play? Know, what, what yeah, was yeah, your no chance, no chance. What did you say? <laughs> a demo. A demo, yeah, go for it. <laughs> it's in the vault. Uh, but, uh, but Alex, what, what, uh, are you a singer? you a musician? I was, so I started playing the drums because um, my, my father was, uh, was a just incredible percussionist and taught me at a very early age to play the drums, uh, drum set, the congas, the bongos, and we played all the time with him. And so that was my first instrument, and then I learned to play guitar, so I played a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So I moved to Mexico City, dr again, dropped, you know, dropped physics. I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to physics in sure. a moment, but I dropped physics, um, went to Mexico City and was there four years. And so, like, what kind of clubs did you play? Did you play, like... The, like the, uh, are you familiar with the, yeah, I know, the I know rock the and roll scene in Mexico? Uh, I know some of the... Some people have... I've, I've spent some time there. People have taken me to some, like, really funky, amazing clubs. Yeah, so there's a really funky. cool scene there, I have the to say. Mexico City is, like, amazing, amazing in so many ways. For it has, sure. like, a subculture that you can really... It reminds me of a lot of New York. Like, it's a liquid city. Yeah. Whatever you're into, you can find it. Yeah. Right. With one difference to New York, which is that primarily the, the population that lives there is Mexicana. Mm -hmm. So... 
as a as a Honduran, I was tr- I was quickly identified as a foreigner because oh. my accent is very different than oh, until I learned how to. You know, to be a Chilango. Yeah. <laughs> it's advantageous when you're in a taxi cab and you want to you don't want to be like, you know, you want to be Chilango so that they don't like think that you can be sure, you know, yeah, like, yeah, taken yeah. advantage of. Anyway. So I was there and then um, four years and then one thing led to another. And, you know, and then um, at that point, um, our group decided to try our luck in Los Angeles. And so we went to Los Angeles for for another sort of. You know, attempt. and where did you play? What spaces did you play in Los Angeles? Um, small venues. I mean, I think the biggest one was the the Viper Room, which is oh a wow, pretty, a classic. that's so small. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, but other small ones, yeah. like you know, small. Wow, Alex, I'm super impressed. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then I, I know, in all these places, I had like side. You know, musicians don't get paid. That's mm-hmm. like the yeah. number one characteristic yeah. of a musician um so you have to have a side gig and uh and you know that was an, another layer of my whole upbringing is i had i worked in like restaurants and all kinds of stuff with sure. the whole entire latino illegal undocumented community that is sure. truly undergoing some and huge central american things. population this is, as well this is my people when i yeah. was in, in 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 la especially mm-hmm. and that was a sh- that was a very dip, um uh, let's say life-shaping um, experience for me, and my my best friends are, are in in that circumstance and or have moved back to their countries, mm-hmm. and that to me is the most uh, the most important thing that I let's say um, uh, my intention is to somehow you know contribute some solutions to that problem. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, and then um, if I could, I don't even know how that could look like. And then after but even just in, speaking in, about it and bringing awareness yeah. to what you're just sharing is, is yeah, it's very the difficult. You're doing it, you know, it, yeah. And and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. So then after LA, I because you know for for it's say legal issues, I I just had to leave, and um, I I at that point I had my options were only to leave the U.S. and uh, either go back to Honduras, which is not really a great opportunity, great option. Um, or go elsewhere, and since I had a, I had in in the whole interim there, I kind of finished my my bachelor's degree, like kind of say how to say like on the side, if that makes sense. I had a bachelor's degree in physics, and um, I used that as a as a as a plat- as a mechanism to immigrate to Germany, which is the only place that accepted me. I mean, I tried, I tried everywhere in the world, including U.S., which would not accept me because at that time, you know, and still today, that is very difficult mm-hmm. to enroll in a, in a major university without uh, the legal paperwork. Mm-hmm. So all of that to say, the, um, Germany has realized that, like you said earlier, that, uh, or mentioned earlier, international students are very important to them. Mm. So they're opening up their, their programs to international students. Oh. And so they have a very, I say this kindly, they have a very low bar for students. <laughs> they took me. I mean this oh, just, I mean this just sincerely. I had terrible okay, Alex, grades. I just read this most amazing thing about I know, you. I know. The, the, and, the and bar I, is pretty and high. And I'm very proud of that because um, I had very low grades. I came from a university that nobody has ever heard of. I guarantee nobody's ever heard of this university. And my letters of rec were who, Right. 
didn't publish any papers, didn't have any research experience. I just simply did not exist. You know, if you see my profile, it'd be like, this is nobody. So Germany had a very low standard because indeed they just wanted a lot of students. Yeah. So we ended up, I ended up in this master's program in Stuttgart. Again, zero idea of what this is. I just like threw darts everywhere in the world. One of them called back the University of Stuttgart. I didn't even know what, where it is. <laughs> and they accepted me for a master's program, along with a bunch of other people of, let's say, similar non-standard non, like, uh -huh. places. Non-traditional right? journeys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like most people in that context were from the Middle East because of geographically, mm -hmm. you know, the equivalent migration pattern in Europe is from the Middle East sure. as it is from Latin America to right. here, right? So they have a lot of, so their diversity means Middle Eastern, mm -hmm. right? So a um, bunch of people from Middle Eastern countries that were also, we called us a bunch of rejects. I mean, we were rejected by everyone in the world. <laughs> Seriously, this is not a, it's just a, you know, it was, it was, it, it was difficult to bet on us because we didn't bet on us. I mean, we didn't know what would happen. We weren't even, I didn't even know what physics was in terms of a career. Mm -hmm. So I can't blame anyone for not like seeing that so early, you know, even I didn't see it. Mm -hmm. So then I ended up uh, staying there for a PhD and, 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 and then slowly but surely started to see like, oh, this is actually something that I can do. And as, as Gilberto just said, this can open up incredible opportunities. Realizing how much opportunities can be opened up by a degree like this is what changed everything. And then one thing led to another. I was able to come back to the U.S. thanks to, as, I mentioned, as, as, as you mentioned in that bio, you see my, my postdoc mentor mm -hmm. was the former chancellor of UC Berkeley mm -hmm. at the, uh, in the time of like from the 2002 or four to like 14. And he was very, um, very... Um, uh, passionate about this issue, and he was actually very active and even got involved at the sort of like uh, United, uh, Department of State level to get me back in. Wow. And it, he, we did it, and I, I came in, did a postdoc at Berkeley, and then applied to jobs and somehow ended up here. Wow. That, what an incredible story. And just really quickly, I'm just really curious as an artist myself, where, where is your art? I mean, I always talk about my students to this. You know, I get a lot of um, uh, a lot of a lot of students outside of the, you know, the major when I teach my my, my classes. I get um, a lot of biochem uh, engineering students. You know, they're taking it for their love of arts. A lot of them are like really grateful for having like one class that they're just like, really preciously using their imagination and their creative spirit right to um, come alive, so to speak. And so, um, I, I'm just kind of curious. Um, I, I always feel that um, uh, I'm kind of in solidarity with you as scientists. You know, when I do a project, you know, I have I have a question. I have um, a, I, I'm searching for something within a play, let's say, right, a project, a theatrical production, and you know, it's an experiment. I, I don't want to go into fail, but sometimes I get bad reviews, right? It, it, it sucks, right? And then I, I, then I try another, ah, and it, it's, it is successful. It's like trial and error. I I hold hands with you very deeply in terms of like the kind of STEM aspect of how I am as an artist. So I'm just just kind of curious. I mean, that's my kind of relationship to it, but I'm interested in you specifically, Alex, your relationship to your music and your percussion specifically, that element of, of your identity and your experience and your worldview of how that influences your work and your research. Um, so definitely music is maybe even the most important thing in my life, even more important than my research, if you will. Uh, to me personally, music is, has always been uh, 
this thing I have that I can always have to, you know, I don't know, find uh, healing and, 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 you know, whatever. Are you still part of the band now? Do you still play? Chicken? Do you, are you part of a group right, right now? Do you just, still play? Just, just for fun, though. Very, very, very casual, like, just get, get together and play. Very, very casual. And I also go and play with, like, some, uh, you know, like, dance things that people organize on the beach. And just very, very casual stuff. Very casual. But it is very important to me, uh, just fundamentally in my personal level. Now, um, one of my, in my latest sort of research adventure that is a very new one, I'm trying to incorporate the notion of uh, uh, computing in the way that our brain works, using that idea to understand how music is understood and, and um, uh, appreciated by our brains. So, you know, perhaps I, in broad sense, I, I believe that a huge element of our, what we call intelligence, of human intelligence, has a correlation with our ability to react to and understand music. So I'm trying to find a way that we can use materials in electronics to recognize patterns in music. Yeah. I mean, you're getting at something so fundamental that's really critical to my identity as an artist again, kind of just I'm really vibing with you, Alex. Uh, an e-version now in person. I love it. Um, but uh, this, just this idea of, of what you're describing, of, of um, this kind of um, uh, energy between feeling, basically. And like, how, do you, how, how, do, how can feeling be an impulse for something, mm-hmm. right? And I'm also really struck by what you're saying because it, it um, reminds me of, um, there's a saying in the arts that um, um, all, all the arts aspire to music. Music is like the pinnacle of, like, of the artistic expression. First of all, it's invisible, it's intangible, and it actually is rooted in, in, um, in feeling. And it actually has vibration. It has there's a science behind it, right? Mm-hmm. Comparable Absolutely. to what you do. So I can see why even just like brain waves and waves yeah. of music and how it's transferred experience again is kind of going to um, one of my projects as an artist is just you know empathy and just like what it was the impulse and was the seeds for that. So I love that um, what I do and what you guys are doing is has that same kind of seed ultimately, but just expressed or researched in a different fashion. But it comes from you know not only what you're feeling and what you have an affinity for as a human being, right? I feel like that's really huge. It's something I tell my students, which is, you know, I'm really big on affinities. You know, I'm a, I'm a big Japanophile. Like, I don't know why I'm a Chicano group in San Diego, but I'm, like, obsessed with Japan. Like, I just became really... Um, I've been to Japan. I've studied no theater and um, world arts and culture as part of my project as an artist and human being. But when I went to Japan, like, just something happened to me. And I just felt like I was so connected to it. And um, I'll just say, these, we don't know what secret lives are inside us. And so, um, so it's thrilling to see like these secret lives inside of you that actually somehow were exposed, and then only to open more secret rooms inside you. And same with Gilberto, and same with Rami, right? And same with you, Stephanie, too, right? I'm not forgetting you, uh, and Marcy, and Matt for sure. Um, but all to say, um, yeah, I mean that. But for me, that that affinity, that kind of clicking, or that opening up of that door that we have these secret lives that we are mysteries turn into boons and turn into these joys and turn into um, those, um, you know, those those paths that, that are unexpected and full of depth of feeling. Yeah. Because I'm sure what ultimately what kind of connects you all three, which I think is so beautiful, is like you just love what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just love what you do. I mean, and that's so rare. I mean, you guys started, you know, because you wanted to get the thing that gave you quality of life, et cetera. But ultimately you found another another kind of door, another affinity that is actually even, you know, beyond, uh, you know, where you originally started. And, it, and the, the, the love is just, you know, it just feeds it back on itself to you. 
I mean, we're really lucky. I have to say this one thing that I, and I'm so thrilled as an educator, right? I feel like my identity here on campus, I came as a citizen, um, you know, as a Chicano uh, and as an artist, but then I now have a new identity as an educator. And I feel really committed to, to actually um, in, uh, the invitation to my students to make them think about these affinities that they have and allow for those surprises and allow for mysteries and to amplify their worldview or as the great David Carrasco, he's a huge um, hero of mine from a divinity school in Harvard says, you know, your cosmovision, right? And like, what is the center of that and how does it branch out into aspects of you are, which is ultimately about like how you feel and how you love. I mean, it's so... So precious. Um, we're so lucky to hear, but be at the university, right? Stephanie, yes, you've been here for five years with us. I mean, and you get to, we get to do what we love. It's so rare. Yeah, I mean, so awesome. I mean, not to go back to our talking about our families, but as something I think that's really critical because, you know, I know um, our families sacrifice a lot. You know, lack of being with them, or just resources, or just that love that we carry, or just tortillas, whatever it is, right? You know. Uh, and I just feel like, you know, being um, part of um, uh, on campus as a kind of uh, a Chicano a Latinx community member who has a leadership position, you know, as a faculty member, we are kind of in front of classes. You know, we're the, we're the brown people in front of other brown kids showing them that this can happen. You can you can also follow your dream. Um, maybe challenging. It, uh, it may be it have its have its own kind of uh, windy way. But it is um, but there is a way and and just follow that love and depth of feeling, just circling back to what you're talking about in terms of the brain, feeling deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Note here is that uh, this is important because I'm, my file is up for tenure. Yes. And uh, my research, the vast bulk of my research is on pretty standard things not related to music. Mm-hmm. So, uh, most of what I do is more like uh, what I would call a standard, well, standard in, in the field of con- standard, uh, like, standard in, standard in a very small field, sure. sure. But, but to, you know, to, the, to an outsider, you might see my, the bulk of my research so far has been the type of stuff that, you know, is, I guess, standard in this field. Mm-hmm. This idea well, of okay, incorporating music... Right there. Yeah. Okay, you're using this word standard. Is anything standard? Like, what, who, who, who's those gatekeepers for the standardness? You know what I'm saying? What, what, happen, what happens, Alex, if you... What, what, okay, I'm going to throw something at you. You're going to for tenure. I know it's a little bit tricky. I've been there before, so I understand. I'm, but I'm just thinking, like, why, why do we have to, like, suppress and be standardized versus actually being exceptional and, and singular in what we actually bring? I mean, I know it's challenging because... I mean, we're, we're, not, we're, we're here talking with, the, you know, the world. And, you know, I know um, uh, discussions of faculty, is, 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 our communities and faculty can be very challenging and very mm-hmm. uh, difficult. Um, and uh, so I understand the kind of wanting to be in, um, wanting to have a perce- certain perception that we think is going to make us go ahead. But I would say you are so extraordinary already, Alex. I would like just be like sign. You know, if I was on your if I was on your faculty, you have my vote. Same with same with Gilberto and Rami. Easy peasy. That was to get it to that level where you're applying for tenure. You must have already done some extraordinary things. Yeah. And if if anything, I mean, it's not standard. Um, I mean, maybe it's standard to you because you're in there doing totally, it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. But to the rest of the world, you're doing something new. And if you got to that level, you already had a huge. You already made a huge impact. 
So, um, so well, yeah. First of all, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, you, you know, and we wish you luck. It's, it's, yeah, we wish you yeah, luck yeah. in the, in the in process. The, but. the date of celebration is next year. Yeah, on yeah. uh, July mm-hmm. one, we'll, yeah. we'll celebrate. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe what after Tigger Bay allow for you is perhaps more risk. Exactly. See, that's, uh, See, that's more risk to oh, wait, do this again. So I wanted to circle back to a comment. After tenure, perhaps would he, uh, Alex might have like more opportunities to do more risky things, right? Yes, I yes, think we're yes. under ex- yeah. pressure timeline in that tenure. I mean, in I'm the so, face of tenure. it's so great what you're talking about, Gilberto, and everyone here. I, this idea of like experimentation and risk. I mean, it's what we do in our work, but also we show up as human beings and not to kind of circle back, but just our Latinoness on campus, right? Like we're putting ourselves out there. We're doing it, right? In terms of what we're showing our students and in our work and our personal lives. It's really, uh, yeah, keep going, please. Yeah. Alberto. No, I would say I think that, that gives you that opportunity, and um, just like for you know, in terms of you know, for the students and, and so forth, that you know, well, we might be considered successful. And the common thread here is that you know, I think we all made it through what may seem like we were given some opportunity. And this is something that I was thought myself as like, oh, you know, I was giving, you know, I worked with this professor as an undergrad, and I had this great opportunity to do that. And I think we're all going to be given opportunities throughout our life, but it's a matter of being ready, you know, preparing ourselves for those opportunities. And it takes a lot of hard work, but I think we enjoy the work. So we do the work that it takes, but definitely, you know, to get to this level of, of being a, uh, you know, going through tenure, it is a lot of work, but we enjoy what we do. We're willing to do it. Um, and, you know, it's a combination of opportunities and preparing ourselves so that when these opportunities come, we're able to take advantage. Right. I mean, I was struck by what you said, Rami, earlier about, you know, um, finally having your voice after being in the department for yeah. 10 years. I mean, that's part of what we're talking about, exactly. I think, as well. It's like, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, OK, puff, puff, I'm official now. Right. <laughs> now, they, now I have tenure. But what does that now mean? The mask you, you, comes the, off. The mask comes <laughs> off or 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 something occurs, like something magical. You're different, but you're still the same. Right. You're just, you're just emboldened somehow. You're, or maybe that affinity that I've talked about earlier becomes another door's open to allow yourself to kind of really use your voice to the fullest. I mean, that's really what. But, but then even that becomes a risk, right, Gilberto? What you're talking about now, the, when, you, when you get tenure after July 1, then the work really begins, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In a weird way. Yeah. yeah enjoy the current phase of the, <laughs> the assistant professor. I know there's the... But, but in, in, on that note, I think that, you know, the, how you take risks and how you, like... Uh, th- th- there's a balance and you, you, there's a, a level of practicality that needs to be considered as well, such as funding. Mm-hmm. You know, we operate right. research groups that re- sure. require funding yeah. and, and, and that doesn't come easy and has to be very narrow, narrow right? and deliverable. Yeah. Yeah. And especially the government funding agencies are very specific in what they want in return. And so you cannot have too much of a Incidentally, so far outside of like the zones. That's right. And so, in this sense, is what I consider standard, if I may use that term again. Mm -hmm. In the terms of, let's put it this way: you look at what the 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 funding agencies are interested in, and you go that route to some degree because you need the funding. Mm -hmm. Other things, more risky things, are not so easily funded. At least in my experience, I have incidentally started to look into uh, private foundations for more bold ideas like Uh these. No response yet, but that would be the next phase. But the point is there's a level of practicality that you have to consider when you find the balance between these risks. And your ability to take them at different stages of your career. Correct. Also that, for sure. For sure. Once you have tenure. Students need to graduate. Yeah. You don't want to put a student on a really crazy idea that won't give them any opportunity. I mean, everything, all these things need to be considered. Sure, sure. 
This is so so wonderful. But I I, I want to open it up to, to we have our wonderful um, guest Stephanie here. Please, if you have any questions, join. You know, I feel like we're just like here. We need some beer or something, right? I know. And we, some, we need some like we need some of your your tios um, chorizo tacos. Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds amazing. Uh, but I'll just say I don't know. Is there anything that, that that you want to share or ask Stephanie? You're here, please. Oh, I'm gonna say thank you to all of you. But I did have a question regarding how you heal yourself from like facing the barriers as a Latino in science, because I feel, as a grad student, I feel that on a daily basis sometimes, and I wonder as professors, if you feel that, and if you do, how you heal that for yourself. The trauma is real. Mm. I think especially, I mean, that was one of the things that I don't want to, you know, I want to be real, and I am being real here in Germany, but, you know, I want to keep things sort of positive. Um, I think, I mean, I think especially being, like, a female Latina, like, or, you know, it's just... um, it can be difficult. And I think the other thing that surprised me actually was that it gets worse the higher you go. Like the atmosphere becomes thinner or something. I don't know quite. But um, uh, anyway, so in terms of healing, I mean, I think everybody finds it their own way, probably with your music. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Enjoy the outdoors, you know, some hiking, some hiking biking. in nature. Yeah, being out and taking some time to yeah. enjoy nature. I think it's really important um, that you do, you know, stay true to yourself and that you can find these ways of healing and that you, you know, with each person being different. I mean, for me, definitely food. You know, I'm constantly coming back to food. That's like just a thing. Do you cook? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a Cuban woman in the end. Yeah. Okay. So what's like your specialty? I mean, like anything. I mean, any of the Cuban dishes. I mean, you know, there's. How are your beans? (laughs) So we got we our, should we get got together our again. Party. Yeah, exactly. Yes. We got, we're going to be hosting that. <laughs> yes, I will happily do that. So, and how about you? Do you cook, Gilberto? Uh, oh, yeah. What do you cook? Um, right now, a pozole. Ooh. Um, oh, yum. Yeah. I can't say I'm too extensive, but, you know, I've been dabbling in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 yeah. Have a, you have a mean Especially, pozole uh, in uh, your uh, belt. Yeah. Awesome. And Alex, how about you? I have to say I'm not into, I don't know Honduras uh, cuisine, I have to say. Uh, it's a staple. maybe? Uh, pupusas. But there, there's an argument. I was thinking it was El Salvador. Sorry, well. I was yeah, imagining. It could be both, either of the two. Well, so you cook or no? No, I don't cook. I don't. Yeah, this I is enjoy. again the Latin thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean that the women are more generally definitely, in the kitchen. Definitely. You know, I mm-hmm. have also four kids, so we I cook every night. No, you know? yeah, it's crazy, wow. but it's good. But so finding these things, yeah. Also for me, exercise. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I, I was also like a competitive runner for a long time, so that was a place where I could always go back and sort of reset yeah. with music. Mm-hmm. With music. Uh huh. Yeah. I love that. That's a that's a really wonderful that's question. A great question. Yeah, Thank you for bringing that into the to. into the conversation. That's really important. I mean, I mean, that really is the thrust of this conversation. Like, ultimately, yes, we're all here, and we're here to celebrate and to meet each other. But like, let's get down to to it. Like, also, you know, how do we have self care for as as Latinx, Chicanx, and specifically in STEM, right? Which is such an extraordinary and challenging field already in so many ways. Uh, how do you how do how do you really have um, Time, effort, and uh, make space for yourself when we have, we're so in demand. Not only as such um, few Latinx uh, STEM faculty members, we're always burdened already, right? You guys are already burdened. You're always, um, you know, everybody's wanting you guys for so many things to be on committees for your points of view. I know Olivia Grave will meet tomorrow. She's like everywhere, you know. She's, she, you know, you know, she, we're the ones, right? Because our, 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 we're so limited um, in our presence. 
Um, so thank you for those efforts that you're doing in terms of faculty research, um, Hilberto. But nonetheless, really, really important to do that for ourselves, whether it's music, pozole, or, or, um, or, or, or yeah, exactly, <laughs> or, or running. Yeah. Actually, I actually, and I don't know if you all do this, um, in terms of protecting your time and making sure that you can sort of restore yourself. I mean, I schedule it into my calendar. Oh. I do. Like, um, whether it's, the, and my students see it. You know, they see this is her time. She's going to Pilates or running or whatever. Um, you got me time. I do have me time. Good for you. I learned that later because yeah. otherwise there's no time for you. You will yeah. be working. You go yeah. home. You keep working. You keep yeah. working till the, the, you close your laptop and then you go to bed. You get up. You open it. That's true. I mean, that does happen. Yeah. I mean, many times I'm here, you know, in theater and dance, you know, we actually um, have most of our rehearsals at evening. So we teach all morning. We know oh I, can, I can be and here. Then. And then we have rehearsals at night with our productions. And sometimes we can be here till like, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I mean, when I was a, when I was a, an assistant professor, Alex, I'll tell you this, you know, I had a little camita in my, in my office and I would just stay here because I'm like, it's two in the morning. I have class at eight. Why am I going to go home? Like, it just like stay. Oh, yeah. Wow. I have my, my little camita in there and just like hang out there. And I, so I know the senora who come in the morning and she knows I'm sleeping. I no, no preocupes, está bien. You know, she let me sleep because I'd be on the floor. She'd come back and clean your office later. I'm like, thank you. And then I'd get up. And luckily, we have in our, in the, we do have dressing rooms with showers. So I take a shower. So, so I didn't go to class, you know, dirty. I, I, I did go to the, go do, freshen take a shower, up. freshen up, and then go, to, go teach a class and start, like you said, start the whole thing all over again. Yeah. And I had to get off that. You're right. Yeah, yeah. you do. You have, to, you have to have that self-care, that Stephanie, you're talking about. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think especially as, as you know, growing up in, in, in the Latino community where, for example, my, my parents had more labor jobs. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't go to the gym. Yeah. Right? And yeah, it was not they're something, exhausted. Yeah, it was not something that, that was present in my, in my mm-hmm. culture growing mm-hmm. up. And, um, you know, I thought going to the gym was more for, like, more for an aesthetic thing. Mm-hmm. Right, because you want to bodybuild or uh-huh. you six pack. Yeah, yeah, build a six pack. That, <laughs> as you can see, I've been working on it. Uh, <laughs> or, um, and and so one of the things that, that I learned from uh, seeing, um, you know, talk about going into, you know, getting to grad school, and you know, as as uh, the Latinos get thinner and thinner as you move up, one of the things that I was seeing in in some of the senior faculties, they had an exercise routine, mm-hmm. right, and a lot of them do that, and so like, oh, well, maybe that's what I should be doing. And, uh, you know, it's not something that I grew up with or ever did, but something that I, I think I, I, and I'm not consistent, I have my phases, but something that I think is important to build in uh, into your schedule to do something for yourself, whether it's exercise or, or, you know, take some time for yourself. That's really great. That's really beautiful. I have, I have so many more questions and so many things I would love to ask you. Can yes, I add go, something please. to Stephanie's question? Because I think it's a great question and something. So I fully, fully agree with taking care of uh, yourself, your body physically is a huge, very important factor. Um, and also, like, um, consider the perspective that all these little challenges that you're overcoming make you stronger, make you better, make you uniquely stronger. And this is actually where, what I, now looking back, even consider an advantage that I had some, so many of these hurdles that I learned lessons that nobody knows that I now actually use in very practical ways. Of course, it's easy to see backwards, right? Because you're like, oh, okay. And it's, in the moment, it's hard to like, oh my, like, have that perspective. But consider, look back in your trajectory. Look at what you have accomplished. And notice that there were a lot of struggles that you overcame, and they have made you stronger. So we, we both, we all have that in common, that we can just look back and appreciate that these things give us more value 
And therefore, that perhaps can give you a bit of patience to like, okay, it's going to pass, there will be another one, but I'll be stronger each time. Thank you, that's great. I'm just really moved by the conversation today and really, I just kind of like speechless and gobsmacked at how incredible you guys are and how lucky I am to know you. I mean, Rami, it's so great to know you a bit more. Gilberto, we've been hanging out all these years. It's so wonderful to hear your story, even more beautiful. And then to meet a, a new dear friend, Alex. I mean, I have so many questions about Honduras. It's a place I don't know, but I'm really interested in it. I, I'm just really curious about, you know, I talk about right now, I'm just kind of just, show, just kind of sharing my wish list of our next conversation of, you know, I'm really interested in hearing more about the African diaspora, the Latinx, the, the, the um, Afro-Latino kind of identity in your country. That's something really powerful to me uh, that I'm trying to have this inclusivity of my identity um, as a Chicano in terms of radical inclusivity for all and what it means. We come from all over the world and we have these kind of crossroads in the Americas. Um, so I would love to know more about that maybe next time we talk mm-hmm. for example but also like we can go like let's go get some beer and have some good music I want to know I'm going to hear what you're listening to and Gilberto I mean you are like right there I, I love that you're that you're an experimental um, researcher um, that's part of my project also as an artist I'm very much into the avant-garde and the more kind of um, non-traditional um, ways of making theater and processes and, um, and artists that are kind of on the frontier and uh, on the cusp of of um, form in terms of theater making so I, I love that you're right there experimenting but also just so impressed with your um, dedication to your um, humanitarian gesture of going to these other countries in those places in the world you know in these crises and then you know you know with a generous open heart but then learning from those and bringing those those kind of um, that information back to us so maybe they won't happen again here for example or another place in the world I think that's amazing I'd love to know about your stories of, of being in Taiwan and, and um, your recent travels but also really quickly um, are you part of the big California shake-up is that something that you're part of here on campus no, I'm not involved with that, okay. which I should be. But. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I see that all, I see that coming up. So I'm like, oh, that's probably yeah, Roberto's landscape. Yeah. Uh, and then, and Rami, you're just your your extraordinary work that you do um, in your lab and with your students. And you know, just reading your bio, I was just like, you know, I, I know you from being on these committees. And I'm like, oh my god, she's like such a badass. <laughs> Forgive me again. It's just incredible to and then to know that you do these. Uh, you know, you have this family and that you cook and you have these. They have like a really deep, uh, important, you know, personal life that's really, really. Um, you know, in, in, um, in tandem with this extraordinary research and, and profession that you have in the field, which is really incredible. I mean, you're uh, this distinguished professor. I think that's extraordinary to be in a woman and a Latina on campus to have that. It's a very, very, extra, you know, we talk about going for tenure and all these kind of milestones. I mean, that's something to applaud in, that you are in our community, that you have that rank and that title and something that you've earned so extraordinary, I'm sure. So thank, thank you. you for that. Yeah. Awesome. But um, with that, I'll just say thank you, Rami, Gilberto, Alex. Um, again, as I said, this is just for me uh, a conversation to just um, hang out for you guys to know each other. Now we know each other and we know Stephanie. Yes. Um, but I'll just say, um, Alex, Gilberto, Rami, thank you so much. Thank so you. much gratitude and so much admiration for what you do in our community. If I could just ask you one final question, maybe as we leave in the spirit of Latinx Heritage Month, maybe something uh, you want to inspire us um, uh, by sharing, maybe what gives you pride in your Latinx community? You know where I'm going to go. Ropa Vieja. Frijoles. And Celia Cruz. Yeah. That's, a, that's a lot to be uh, thankful and grateful for, I, for sure. Yeah, the love there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for, well, definitely the food is uh, one huge aspect. 
Um, and here in particular, UCSD, like I mentioned earlier, like seeing our community grow here mm -hmm. at, at UCSD and looking forward to, you know, to being a much larger part of, of, of this campus. It having an impact not only on campus, mm -hmm. but though, you know, our part of our HSI efforts, but also in the community mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really bridging that gap. And I'll say, I think we are a, a very, we have a lot of ingenuity in our culture. I love it. We have very creative culture. And um, our family values are, and are such a ones that I, you know, not to say that we are all functional families. Sure, <laughs> we sure. have plenty of dysfunction in our families. But I think there's a way that we define our values in a somewhat tighter way that, I, that I'm very, very proud of. And I love that. Awesome, awesome. Maybe, Stephanie, I'll ask you. How about you? What's something that gives you pride in, in, your, uh, in your Latinx community? Um, I would say resilience. That's what mm -hmm. people have. Yeah. Awesome. That's beautiful. So more resilience in the world, everyone. So thank you so much. And uh, to be continued, more Platica tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Woo, bravo.